two years. Actually, it's kind of funny. You go looking through, looking through my, um, uh, my message list on the computer. Uh, every two years, we preach on why should a Christian be involved in government. And we talk about the election. You say, we're talking about the election already. Yes, I learned very early here in ministry that like 95% of Tennesseans vote before, the, before election day. Um, and uh, early voting is like a, a, a God-given right that Tennesseans consider to be one of the most important things in life. At least it seems like that. Uh, the first year or two that I came, I prepared to, to preach a message uh, you know, right about election time, and uh, everyone had already voted. So, um, you know, so I, I couldn't deal with the subject. So I'm starting early this time. No, um, what I'd like to do, because it relates not just to the election, but also some of the things that we're going to share tonight uh, relate to some of the things we're facing right now as far as our lives are concerned. So we're going to have a dual purpose tonight. We're going to look at uh, kind of really what, uh, what is a Christian to do? All right, and, uh, and, and should a Christian be involved in government? And what is the government supposed to do? And we're going to look at a few of those things uh, this evening. I actually had another uh, subject that I was going to go uh, into, but I knew it would take a couple weeks, and um, who knows? I was hoping I'd get this done, but then I looked at how many pages are in my notes. So uh, we'll see what happens, see how far we get this evening. But uh, it says on the top, should a Christian vote? Uh, actually... That's going to be the question we answer. Then the next one is, who should a Christian vote for? All right. Well, anyway, um, yeah, I'm already going to tell you who to vote. Yeah, no, it's just one. It's just, it's just one. I, I thought someone else might help you out, but Brother, Brother Deals, you're on your own. Oh, no, you're not on your own. Uh, you've, you've got some help. I, I won't say senior help. <laughs> Brother Wiley, I'm sure I, I thought he'd turn around and throw those at me or something. So, but uh, all right, uh, a web page had this question at the top: Which candidate is right for you? Uh, the title struck me as interesting and and relevant uh, in regard to elections, but after thinking it through. Um, I came to the conclusion there really is a better answer for a question for a Christian to ask. Uh, and here's the reason why. The world deals with you all the time because the philosophy is man is his own God. In other words, whatever you think is best, whatever you believe is good, whatever your heart tells you is what you need to do. In other words, man only has to look to his own heart, his feelings to make a decision that's right. And by the way, that decision is always considered right because you can't question what a man's heart has told him. At least that's the way things are today. And quite honestly, that philosophy is even being swallowed in Christianity so that um, we have people who, uh, a church that would never practice church discipline because that would be judgmental. Uh, we have churches that will never say anything to people who are doing things that are clearly sinful and wrong because, look, whatever your heart has told you to do is acceptable. Now, they wouldn't accept that in every way, uh, but in many cases, that's what's being taught today. Just follow your heart. Now, that question, then, would be acceptable to someone who has that philosophy in life. But the reason I had you turn to 1 Corinthians 6 is because I wanted to just uh, challenge you with 
the fact that God is the master of the Christian. He's supposed to be, and the Word is to be our guide. Now, I know we've emphasized that a lot lately, but it's important for us to be reminded continually about that fact. And so God, in His Word, though He doesn't deal with an election in any way, shape, or form, at the end of verses of chapter 6, we read these words. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, so much could be said about these verses and, and preached on in the matter of the fact that God owns us. But the fact of the matter is I'm supposed to glorify God in my body, the things that I do in my spirit, in my inner mind and heart, in the inner me. So that the truth is my heart is to be guided by God. It isn't I follow my heart. It's my heart needs to be God's heart. It's not I do what I want to do or what I think is right. I need to glorify God in my body. So both in my body and spirit, I'm God's. He's my master. And that is how I'm supposed to approach life. So a better question for a Christian to ask when we talk about the election and voting is not which candidate is right for you, but who would God have you vote for? And I say that in all sincerity, because I, my obligation is to serve and honor him, both in mind and heart and body, or mind and heart, and then as well in body in my outward actions. And so his will in every decision of life is vitally important. So the question I, I ask tonight is, who would God have you vote for in the coming election? Now, don't, yes, I, I was hoping no one would answer that out loud. You know better than to do that, all right? Um, we'll get to that a little bit more. But tonight, I want to lay kind of the groundwork for should a Christian be involved in government? And as well, just the idea is, what is the job of the government? Because if we understand those things, that a Christian is indeed to be involved in government, that it is not wrong or sinful in itself, and that a Christian uh, then as well knows what a government is supposed to do, both those things will help guide you in the matter of making a decision. Uh, so... We're going to seek to answer those questions and kind of lay the groundwork today, and then we'll come back. I'm not exactly sure when, but we'll come back before the early voting time, which is mid-October, I think it is. I want to say it's like the 14th or something like that of October. You say, I have no idea. Well, I did actually look those dates up, and maybe I'll give them to you later on. But it, uh, uh, we'll seek to do it before that, and then I'll tell you... Uh, I'll tell you who I'm going to vote for and why I'm going to vote for him. Uh, and so, uh, who would God vote for? We'll look at that and answer that. But tonight, uh, let's look at um, the separation of church and state, first of all, and, uh, and put it this way, the debate of political involvement. The debate of political involvement. In most every election year, the church will get some form of mail, some organization, either snail mail or now emails, that will come out and will address the question of the separation of church and state. Uh, one year, there was an appeal from a supposedly Christian organization 
to support their desire to separate church and state by, I kid you not, removing the Bible from secular life. They were in support of, Christian organization, in support of removing Bible verses from public buildings. Removing any vestige of biblical things like the Ten Commandments. Um, in fact, I think that was around the time when Judge Moore was battling in Alabama that issue uh, as far as the courthouse and what they were going to allow. They had the Ten Commandments out front, and he refused to remove them, even though the courts had told him uh, he must. And so uh, this organization was saying why it's right for us to remove Bible verses and remove any reference to God during the holiday season or whatever from government property. And they also, in their article or in their letter, warned pastors not to play politics or deal with politics from the pulpit because it wasn't the business of the church to be involved in politics. And they cited the separation of church and state. Another time, uh, another year, I, I received something from the, uh, what was called the Beckett Fund. Interesting uh, thing. Now, this organization was providing free legal help for churches because at the time it came in, many churches were being threatened with loss of their tax-exempt status because the IRS started going against church or going uh, to churches that were uh, men like, um, I want to even say at the time, this is back a while ago, Jerry Fowler, not the Jerry Fowler, you know, the Jerry Fowler who actually stood for something and believed something and preached something. Uh, so, so don't go off on that subject tonight. That's another message for another time, all right? Uh, but... Uh, that Jerry Fowler and other preachers like him who were getting up part of a moral majority and were preaching uh, that, uh, that Christians should be involved in politics and they should vote and other things. And the IRS started to get really, really aggressive in going against these churches. So this Beckett Fund was asking for funds to help churches who were doing what they should do. So they were positive in this regard. But the truth is, there's organizations and there are supposedly Christian groups on both sides of the matter. Where is a Christian supposed to stand? So let's understand uh, and let's look at the subject of the separation of church and state first. And I, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I think we need to at least address this. And we're going to begin by understanding the intent of the founding fathers. Now, it's not all that vitally important, but we're going to take a little bit of time to think about this because our founding fathers really were very clear about religious involvement. Uh, now, this needs to be said. Do you know that this phrase, the separation of church and state, is not in the Constitution? Okay? Do you, do you understand that? Uh, do you know that? Do you know where it was, where it comes from, and what was, what was going on, and where the statement first came from? Anyone know? Because you, you, really, you really ought to know. Thomas Jefferson, during the time when the Congress was meeting and they were discussing and they were talking about what they were going to do, Thomas Jefferson was asked the question about what was going to be allowed and what was going to happen, where things stood as far as church and state. And so he was the one who wrote in a letter to these people who asked him some questions that the founding fathers believed in and wanted to practice the separation of church and state. And that is where the statement comes from. It is not in the Constitution because 
by the way, it's been misconstrued terribly by people today to give us this idea we can't have Bible verses up anymore. and We have to remove all these, any, any vestige of religion from public because that's what they intended, and they didn't. It is not a, in the Constitution. It is not an amendment. Um, let me give you the amendment which was being addressed when he answered this question. And here was the amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably, I want to emphasize that today, peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. In other words, people have the right, or they were granted, the First Amendment granted the right of people to protest peaceably. Have no problem with peaceable protests, by the way. And you shouldn't either. But they were asking question about this first point. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Now, if you want something detailed, because we don't have time uh, to deal in depth with the subject, uh, maybe you've heard of the organization Wall Builders. If you haven't, uh, you might want to check it out sometime, because if you want things about our founding fathers and what they believe, they have done extensive study on the subject. Barton, I think, is the gentleman's name who uh, started the organization, and, um, and he has a number of videos that are excellent. Excellent, excellent for uh, children who uh, need to understand these things and for adults who need to understand that our founding fathers, many of them were extremely religious men who loved God and who wanted to make sure that, the con- that Congress and that the government wouldn't usurp its position. Now, when Jefferson wrote those words, separation of church and state, he told them that the government wouldn't be involved in establishing a national religion and they wouldn't prohibit anyone from practicing their faith as their conscience dictates. Obviously, as the law, uh, any laws would allow. In other words, you can't sacrifice people or anything else if that's what your religion supposedly believes. Neither he nor any founding father had any intention of trying to remove God or the Bible from government. In fact, the opposite is true. You'll find in many of the writings of the founding fathers that they freely used scripture and the buildings that they put up shows that they had an attitude that that said, we need God. In fact, even in the Congress, it was a man who, there's really questions about whether he knew God at all, who who stood up and said, we should pray in our meeting because they weren't getting anywhere as they were trying to make decisions in regard to the Constitution. (coughs) <coughs> which was Benjamin Franklin who asked and suggested that prayer be made on a regular basis that they might petition the God of heaven and ask for his wisdom as they were trying to make some very important decisions for a, a, a country that wasn't really uh, greatly uh, or wasn't established at that time. So understand the intent of the founding fathers. Here was their intent then. The Constitution promised not to establish any one church as the official church. That was their idea. Our, our leaders didn't want the religious persecution that came was found in, in Europe. 
the Church of England specifically, uh, Puritans were concerned about that, greatly concerned about that. That's why they left. That's why they risked their lives to travel here. And so that's one of the reasons that Jefferson was, was being asked these questions. And he answered such. So the Constitution is not to establish any one church as the official church. You say, is, is that a problem? And the answer is, yes. The Church of England, uh, the Roman Catholic Church was the church, official church of Ireland. And you can look at many European countries, they have an official church. Now, <laughs> quite honestly, most people have pretty much just totally forsaken that, but in, in at least practice, many of, those, many of the, the foreign countries, European countries, um, have established uh, in their documents and other things uh, the, uh, an official church, and they promise not to do that. Uh, by the way, there, uh, in many places, religion was forced upon people, like in Calvin's Geneva. Yes, um, and they were cruel to anyone who would not follow the dictates that, that Calvin had taught. Um, that was free, all right? But second thing, the Constitution promised not to coerce people to be part of a specific church or to hold to certain beliefs. So not only would they not establish one church, but they all, the Constitution also promised not to coerce people to be part of a specific church or hold to certain beliefs. And you know, independent Baptists have historically held this position. You say, what position? That faith can't be forced on someone. So uh, that you can't make someone believe in Christ or live for Christ. Salvation comes by exercise of the free will of man, and our founding fathers understood that. Choosing to accept the payment Christ made for sin is a gift to be freely accepted, and it can't be forced upon people contrary to their will. The Bible really is very clear about that fact, and the founding fathers wanted to give people that freedom and not have someone come in and say, this is the official religion, and you will follow it. Because he knew that that was the tendency of human nature and, uh, and, and what had happened in many other countries. Then thirdly, the Constitution promised to protect the free exercise of religion. The Constitution promised to protect the free exercise of religion. Does anyone find it interesting in the present climate that the separation of church and state uh, statement hasn't been mentioned by the media or any government leader? When it comes to taking down the Ten Commandments from public display or removal of Christmas displays from public property, the cries for the separation of church and state are usually heard loud and clear. Why the silence now? Because the government is presently controlling the free exercise of religion. They're telling churches what they can and cannot do during this pandemic. It's interesting that the government wants the separation of church and state when it supports their cause, but they don't believe in it when the shoe is on the other foot. And the truth is, if we wanted to argue anything, if they want to argue that, that the, the government shouldn't have any 
Bible verses on its property, then the government has no business uh, penalizing someone if they have their church doors open. Because that statement fits both ways, people. That the government has no business stepping in the church, and the church has no business controlling the state. You see, that was their intent and their idea that they would be able to that they would protect the the free exercise of religion. The father founding fathers wanted to protect churches from government interference and not remove God from from government at all. Um, by the way, the statement written by Jefferson is the separation of what? The separation of church and state, not the separation of God and state. Um, the writers didn't want God removed from government. They just wanted to make sure church didn't control government and that government didn't control church. And that is what that First Amendment was all about. Now, you say, well, pastor, that's just what our, our founding father said, and that's in the Constitution. Yes, that is in the Constitution. Thank the Lord for it, and it really should guide our decisions in regard to what we do as a church, even during a pandemic. But it's not ultimately what the government thinks. Uh, we just started with, with, uh, by sharing in, in 1 Corinthians 6 that we're gods. So then, what does God think about this matter? So the second statement is understand the support of the scriptures for proper involvement. Understand the support of the scriptures for proper involvement. Is God for the separation of church and state? Now, I know, understand that people have personal ideas regarding how or if the church, how much the church is to be involved in politics. But honestly, personal opinions have to give way to Bible truth. So when an organization writes and says uh, the church shouldn't be involved, a Christian, or Christian organization says the church shouldn't be involved in government in any way, and really we should remove Bible verses, and they are right to argue that the separation of church and state means that there should be no Christmas decorations on public properties and other things like that. Well, the question is, are they right, or, or does God have something to say? What is God's perspective? Um, and uh, now, let me say this. Without a doubt, the most pressing issue for the church should be the Great Commission. And I am afraid that during the, that, that time when the moral majority and other things were so popular in, in America, uh, in the 80s, it's the 1980s, not the 1880s, all right, the 1980s, um, when those things were so popular, a lot of churches seemed to get get distracted and get so involved in government that they were not fulfilling the Great Commission. Look, that is wrong. Our commission is not to petition government and march on City Hall or be politically involved. Our commission is to win people to Jesus Christ. And our focus needs to be on this. But that doesn't mean that God has no instruction about involvement in government, and that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be at least somewhat involved in government. We say, how can we prove that? Well, let me share with you a couple different ways. So turn, if you would, we're going to start, yes, in the Old Testament, 
But turn to Deuteronomy chapter 17, if you would. Deuteronomy chapter 17. And, and don't shut me off because I'm turning into the Old Testament because we'll help you to see the New Testament as well. But in the Old Testament, uh, God instructed uh, some things about, uh, about government and about responsibility toward government. Now, you're there, so keep your place here. <laughs> but I, I missed a verse, and I want to have you turn to it, and I think many of you know it anyway. But turn to the book of Joshua as well, so keep your place there. But turn to Joshua chapter 1. Did and does God expect religion, the Bible, to be a part of government? Well, here's the truth. The Bible is to be central to the lives of those leading government. Say, how do I know that? Well, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. Joshua is going to be a leader of the, the children of Israel. He wasn't going to be king. He was going to be a leader appointed by God. He Actually, it was a theocracy. All right, But Joshua, just as Moses was, were, was considered the leader of the nation of Israel. All right, so what was his job and what was his God-given responsibility? Did God expect the Bible to have a, a role and play a role in government as far as the leaders are concerned? Okay, what does God tell you there in verse 8? All right, so in the Old Testament, God instructed leaders to have a Bible at their side and consult it daily. He would spend time in the Word of God so he could be a proper leader. So did God intend for the separation of church and state in the sense that, well, the Word of God and God shouldn't be mentioned in government? Absolutely not. God's intent, if anything, was the Bible should be important. Now you say, well, that was just Joshua, and Joshua wasn't a king or anything else. All right, then look in Deuteronomy 17 now, if you would, and look in verse 18 and see what it says. Because uh, God ta is talking about it, it, when, when you come into the land, verse 14, there's going to be a king that's set over you like all the nations. And so what was that king supposed to do in verse 18 and 19? You can read it to yourself. What is, what is he supposed to do? What was the command? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the verses shouldn't be on the walls. The verses should be right next to you. So you can take it out and you can consult the word of God. So what was God's idea? Is that the truth is that leaders were to be influenced by the word of God that God indeed wasn't supposed to be separated. And our founding fathers knew that. They did not intend that God be removed. They knew him to be very important in their lives, many of them, and wanted that freedom for all. Psalm 32, 3.12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So does God want the separation of church and state? And the answer is absolutely positively not. The Bible is to be central to the leader's of a country. Now, liberals might argue their Old Testament passages. 
Does this mean God has no interest in government leaders being guided by the Scripture? Well, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 2. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, God tells Christians to be doing something in regard to government. Does anyone know what it is? Praying. In fact, he starts out, and this is a, a, a command. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority. Well, why are we to be praying, and what are we praying about? We're praying for them, which is interesting. If you want the separation of church and state, why are you praying for them? And if God intended for us to be separate and not have anything to do with government in any way, why should we be praying for them? Well, what are we praying about? That we would be able to do what? Look at verse 2. Okay? That we might be able to lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and honesty. How do we know what godliness is? And how do we know what honesty is without the Word of God? So here's the truth. The Old Testament clearly said God wanted the Bible to be part of, a vital part of, any leader in his life. The truth is, God wants, according to this prayer we're supposed to make, the Bible to be vital to any leader today. And if you want to argue, well, we can't, we can't prove that, well, look at what God said in verse 4, because in the context of praying for government, why does he want us to be able to lead a quiet and peaceable life? So that people might be saved. All right, where would that start? What are we supposed to be praying for? For our president and for our governor and for other leaders, that they would be saved because he wants all men to be saved. If someone gets saved, what should be central to their life? All right, so does God want the separation of church and state in the sense that the Bible is, is cast out? Absolutely, positively not. And we prove that both from the Old Testament and from the New Testament. Second thing we can prove as well is that God expects the Bible to be central to the decisions and actions of leaders. Not just important to leaders, but it's to be central to the decisions and the actions of leaders. Uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 3, let me just read it uh, to you. The God of Israel said, this is David, by the way, he's writing. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me, he that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. Now, what does God expect as far as separation of church and state, well, he expects leaders to rule in the fear of God. You say, well, Old Testament again, Pastor. Yes, Old Testament, but David was making a proclamation that any leader, why would David make that proclamation that any leader should rule in the fear of God? Because the powers that be, Romans chapter 13, New Testament, are what? Ordained of God. And they are working and doing God's work. They are God's ministers. So if you're going to minister, be a minister of God, if you're going to be a servant of God and punish people correctly, what do you have to know and what do you have to follow? What, how do you make your decisions? They have to be based upon 
the word of God. So, so look, it's not just that our founding fathers understood this and put that in the Constitution because they wanted us to have that freedom. But God is the one who established that fact, and our founding fathers knew that. So when we ask the question, should we be involved, and the answer is yes, because it's God who said that the Bible should be central. It should be central to a leader's life. It should be essential to his decisions and to his actions. And sad to say, <laughs> there's, we're just not seeing people that are that way anymore. Isn't that, isn't that sad? So the separation of church and state does not forbid Christian involvement. How much should we be involved? Well, I'll tell you what, we've got to be very careful about how much we're involved in government because the Bible does say we're citizens of another country. So our lives shouldn't be wrapped up in, in, in governmental um, legislation. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't petition our legislators to seek freedoms, to deal with issues like this, and maybe even petition uh, governmental leaders to support these churches who uh, are being, if you would, persecuted by certain folks who don't understand um, that they have no business controlling a church. And so there is a way in which we're to be involved. You say, how much? Well, that's uh, for another time. I'll never get done the message if we try to deal with all those things right this moment. But the fact of involvement is absolutely supported, and the separation of church and state had no intent of removing the Bible. If anything, uh, it allowed the freedom for the Bible to be used and, and, and practiced in government as well as in general life. All right, second thing that is important for us to understand, because we're laying groundwork here, the declaration of governmental responsibility. The first statement answers the question, should a Christian be involved in government? And the answer is yes. Now, to what point? Well, uh, there are a number of things we need to consider from, from the Word of God, and we need to be careful. We need to look at a, a number of different things to weigh our involvement personally, how much. But... Part of making a right decision about leaders and other things is understanding God's purpose of government. Do you know what God's purpose for government is? What is the government's responsibility? What is their job? Can I tell you something? I think you already know this. The government is involved in all sorts of things the government isn't supposed to be involved in. And the truth is, the government isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And that is tragic. It really is. It's sad. And we need to pray for our, our country in this, in this matter. But let's look at, at two passages. Again, Old Testament, but we're gonna, we'll make reference to new, okay? Jeremiah chapter 23. And I think you'll understand why we're referencing the Old Testament. Anyway, Jeremiah chapter 23. In Jeremiah 23... And in verse 5, we have a prophecy about the branch. Who is the branch? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, it's a prophecy about a day that hasn't yet come, right? As we looked at this morning. Bible prophecy again. What does God say that he will do when he reigns? 
He will execute judgment and justice. So, if that is what the branch is going to do, would it not be fair to say that the job of government at least is twofold? What would you say is, would be the primary jobs of government? If that's what the branch is going to do, and we're going to have peace for a thousand years, what will, what's his focus going to be? Justice and judgment. That's the job of government. And you know you can't find anywhere else in the Bible where God says the government has a responsibility for other things. Now, some may argue how far you carry some of these different things but and, and, and how much to be involved, but the government's job, primary responsibility are these two things. See, how do you know that? Because that's how my Lord is going to rule and reign someday. And those are going to be the focuses of his work as a government, as the leader of the government and the leader of the world. And you say, well, okay, that's in that day. But again, if the perfect one is going to rule that way, then we would have to say that is, would have to be the primary responsibility of the government. But if you don't get that point, then go back to 1 Samuel chapter 8, if you would. 1 Samuel chapter 8. We have God ruling with justice and judgment. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, Samuel was, was confronted by the people saying, well, we want a leader. We want a king like the other nations. And Samuel was talking to them, and in verse 19, it says, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, nay, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may. Judgment. And then, and go out before us and... All right, judgment and justice. So get this, the children of Israel understood the job of government is judgment and justice. Our Lord, when he reigns someday on the other side of the spectrum, is going to reign in judgment and justice. So we're smack dab in the middle. Wow, that's a good term, right? Smack dab in the middle. We're in between these two. What do you suppose is the job of government today? Justice and judgment. And you say, well, do we find that in the Bible? Mm -hmm. In the New Testament, yes. Romans chapter 13, judgment. They're to execute vengeance. And you can read that clearly in verses 1 to 7. In 1 Timothy 2, as we pray for our leaders, we're to pray that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life. Judgment. Justice, that which is just, that which is right, will be done. And so both those passages we've already looked at in the New Testament say that's the job of government. So it should be clear. First thing is to do judgment, to do judgment. Now, now what is judgment? Well, in Jeremiah 23, 5, when it said that he will uh, do judgment, it means literally to render a verdict. In other words, to determine right and Wrong. God has given government the right to judge between people, to say this person is right, this person is wrong. This person should pay, this person shouldn't pay. 
This person should lose an eye. This person shouldn't lose an eye. The eye for an eye, the tooth for tooth. The government's job is to take vengeance upon people and to discern between right and wrong. When there's an argument, when there's a crime that takes place, God has given authorities the job of dealing with such things. In fact, if you look in Deuteronomy 16, and you can write it down if you want, verses 18 and 19, the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God told judges not to take gifts. You know why? Because it would pervert judgment and justice, because that is the job of government. And so, um, they don't call them this anymore. Junkets, that was the term they used to use, that our senators take money to go and make a trip to wherever they want to go and see whatever they want to see and, and do. Um, uh, financial gifts to the election campaign of so, so and so. These things were not to be done. You say, man, are we a long way from right? You are, and that's why we're in such a mess. We're in a heap of trouble. Because our government just doesn't understand that their job is, is judgment and justice. So they're to render verdicts. That is what they're supposed to do. Uh, do you know why Israel wanted a king? 1 Samuel 8.3 says this, And his sons, talking about Samuel's sons, walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. So here's the fact. If Samuel's sons had been what they were supposed to be, um, children of Israel probably wouldn't have needed to ask for a king. But they stopped doing what they were supposed to do, and uh, the people were doing what was right in their own eyes. What a mess Israel was in. And you know what? What a mess we're in because people are doing what is right in their own eyes. And so we got protesters for Black Lives Matters who are who are threatening people and who are tearing things apart and doing wrong. And you want to know the truth? The government isn't doing anything about them, but they're finding churches. Judgment and justice is not being done. And, and the government's worried about sending money back to people so we can get over this crisis when they have no business doing that in the first place. It's sad. They're to render verdicts. They are to, secondly, vindicate by vindicating or punishing. So they render verdicts. This is what judgment is. By vindicating or punishing. And what, what we mean by that, in Sam, 1 Samuel 8.20, when he talked about the, those two words are brought out, uh, it, the word means, judgment means to vindicate or to punish. It's either side. You remember when Solomon had to deal with the two women and the child? You remember that? Okay, do you realize that in that judgment, there were two verdicts, really, in essence? One was vindicated. The other was, if you would, punished, in a sense. Okay? Both sides of the equation are brought out. Because when you make a verdict, that's what happens. Someone is punished. Someone is, is vindicated. You've done that which is right. When the police come in 
And when they arrest a pastor for preaching the word and, and having their church open, uh, they're rendering a verdict. It's the wrong verdict. They're passing judgment. When they let protesters riot and tear buildings and threaten people and lives and endanger lives and maybe even hurt and take lives, and the government does nothing but says, well, they, they're right to vent. They have a right to vent, and they should feel bad, and we should, we should allow no, that's not, that's, that is the government not doing its job. Do you understand that? I mean, there's so much we could say about this. The job of government should be of great interest to us in every election. It should be of great interest to us when we choose leaders. We want leaders who understand this is our job to do judgment, um, to vindicate, to, to punish. And then the second thing is to do justice. The second work of our Lord in this earthly kingdom in Jeremiah 23, 5 is to do justice. And that is righteousness. So the, the government's job is to say, this is right. Do it. This is wrong. We'll punish it. And that, again, is, is what is not happening. The exact opposite is happening. Well, their fathers were afflicted, and so we understand why they're tearing up buildings and they're burning buildings down and why, why they've killed people. We understand that and why they're tearing public property apart and they're writing BLM on buildings. We understand that, and anyone that would, would stop that is wrong. And then on the other side, we've got, we've got people... We've got people who police officers are writing citations for because they don't have a mask on in Nashville. Um, that's not justice. And the truth is, we should be concerned about what's going on. Not just concerned about it, but when we're going, if we're going to be involved in government, we need to look for people who understand what the job of government is and who will do it. When you listen, you know, you know what? The, the, the debates can all be resolved by just asking the question, what is the job of government? And when you, you listen, sadly, neither party understands. Oh, we got to protect Social Security. It's not the job of government. Job of government is for you to take, your job is to take care of your retirement, not the government's. Oh, we got to take care of health care. It's not the job of government to take care of health care. Oh, we got to send everyone thousands of dollars back. It's not the job of government to do that. It's not the job of government to take that money in the first place and give it to someone else. The only money that should be going to government is money that it costs to actually run government. And so you want to look for someone, and you choose a leader who at least has somewhat of a grasp of that truth, that this is our job. Someone who is for building up military. Oh, man. Yeah, you won't hear that from the media as a positive thing. Someone who's, who's for supporting police and not defunding them and giving them more so they can do their job and, and, and yes, if that's what it takes, 
punish people, I gotta be very careful about this, punish severely people who have no regard for right and law. And officers who will stand up and, and say, we are not gonna allow you and we will not put a citation on a church door to stop them when they have the freedom, according to the Constitution, to do what's right. Uh, quite honestly, our government is totally turned upside down and when you, when you go in the voting, no voting, but when you go to vote, you need to consider whether the person who's going to be elected understands this is our job and we're going to get to doing it. And, and you know how you make America great? Seriously, how you make America great? It, it's, not, it's not a man, okay? You make America great when America's leaders will do what leaders, God has told leaders to do. And when they get out of doing what leaders aren't supposed to do and stop. And that should be a guide. We're going to share with you uh, next time, and then we're going to look at the subject of, or the next time we have opportunity. And I'm not sure whether it'll be uh, in the next couple weeks or not. Um, but we're going to talk about the last thing, the dangers of human government. I, and that's an interesting thing. The Bible tells us what the dangers of government are. And, and wow, if you won't see that today... Uh, it's, it's an amazing thing. Two things that are dangers of human government. I don't have time to deal with them, or I will go till 6.30, and you will definitely be asleep, but you stayed awake, so that's a good thing. Um, but I really wanted to focus on that second part there. I think the first we all understand, but you need to understand that as well in light of what the Bible says. But this second one is just, it's tragic because what I see in my government today is a, the total opposite of what they're supposed to be doing. And by God's grace, uh, when I make a decision in the November election, it will not be according to party. It's going to be according to whether uh, which, which person best understands what our job is, at least is going to take the country in the direction that best uh, fulfills what God's job for the government is. And may we, uh, may we be people who just make our decisions uh, based upon what our master would have us decide, not political party, not uh, where, what, what, uh, what someone's going to do with their Social Security check, but makes a decision based upon uh, what God thinks. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for giving us instruction and help in regard to what government